Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Andrew Goldstein. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Steve Zelenkovsky, Chief Medical Officer of Swan Biotherapeutics, and Joseph Arcangelo, co-founder and managing partner of Inception Group, about how the biotech industry and the CRO industry have evolved and what that means for CMOs evaluating potential outsourcing partners. To start off, I'd like the both of you to introduce yourselves and set the stage. Can you tell us about how the current state of the biotech industry looks like with relation to talent and outsourcing? Hi, Steve Zelenkovsky, Chief Medical Officer at Swan Bio, and thank you, Andrew, for having me join this podcast. I will tell you that the biotech industry has been really undergoing a stressful period over several years as far as resourcing. The ability to be able to get good talent has been a difficult task for biotechs, in particular on the clinical side, where there's a real need for medical folks, for operational folks. Regulatory has been a real challenge. And the number of biotechs continues to grow, but the availability of really experienced talent hasn't grown at the same pace. So this has led to an increase in salaries, an increase in in title inflation, the need for the ability to get a lot of support for folks who come in who, quite frankly, are quite talented, but may not have the experience level at the position you're bringing them in. So they need to have time to grow. And the challenge with that is that the timeframes on delivery on the side of the, the biotech companies to be able to thrive and survive and to fund themselves are getting tighter and shorter. So the need to get to clinical data has become more and more important in the survival of a company. And the difficulty in being able to do that is you need to have teams that hit the ground running and can deliver on the promise of the clinical data and the technologies that you've promised to management, to investors, to the outside world, and to patients. So you've got this real challenge of being able to staff in a timely manner, staff with people who are not just talented, but have the appropriate level of experience, or if you're going to be staffing with a team that need time to ramp up to be able to get them the appropriate support so they can achieve what you need to do to make companies successful and to grow. It's definitely a lot to work on. So Joe, I'd like you to introduce yourself and maybe you can tell us how has the outsourcing industry evolved and what are the implications there? Andrew, uh, I'm honored to be a part of this conversation because I think the company that I helped found might have an answer. We've been in this business for 36 years. I've been in this business for 36 years. It gives me a very, very interesting perch. I was there when they began. I supported many of the forefathers of the outsourcing community in the growth of their companies. I've watched their explosive growth. And over time, and especially over the last decade to decade and a half, we have seen a delta change. The CEOs of the existing CROs have now a fiduciary duty to profitability and a return on investment to their investment community. And not being anti-capitalistic in any means, but as that has occurred, we have witnessed, as Steve talked about, a dilution and a commoditization of the talent. 
the CROs by design are really built for larger organizations and for the larger pharmaceutical companies, the traditional CRO model works. But for an emerging organization like Steve's or others, it really doesn't. Because what Steve needs is talent that he doesn't need to train. He doesn't need to spend a lot of time starting him up. He doesn't want to worry about them. He wants to infiltrate his company with people that he can learn to trust to do what they're supposed to do well. We're in a, a business that it's all about getting you valuable data as fast as possible, right? Because every CMO, every company, every investment group that supports these companies needs the data to continue to see if they need to move on or not. Is the drug going to be efficacious and safe or is it not? And the only way you can make that decision is to have valuable data. So Steve talked about efficiency. He talked about quality. He talked about experience. I'll go even as far as indication specific. I think there's advantages to that and an ability to provide a developing organization with the people who can be trusted and they have a confidence in. In today's world, the CRO doesn't get it. They use the same old methodologies that got them to where they are. It's kind of like turning an oil tanker around in a river. It's very, very hard for them to do that. They really follow the same process of, of identification of people and the subsequent assigning of those people to organizations. What Steve needs, and I think the industry needs to provide to companies like Steve, is a dedication to assist them with high-quality people that they don't need to babysit and people that will stay there so they don't lose their IP, but they don't need to continue to train. And there's a methodology to that. So, Andrew, the thing that Joe tweaked to me is you had asked me about the current state of staffing and talent. The biotech industry constantly changes rapidly and the ability to be able to fund has gotten harder and harder as the markets have changed over the last year and the expectations around getting to quality, good data haven't changed. Although the ability to highlight your data and to get there in a timely manner, there's more pressure on that. But what I would say that hasn't changed in the biotech industry is the need to be flexible, to be smart, to be quick, to be able to get to things that you would normally get to with a lot more structure in an unstructured environment. And that puts pressure on the ability to have good talent. So that's always been a tenant of the biotech industry because smaller companies like the ones I've been at, that's the advantage that they sell. And I hate the word entrepreneurship, but we all use it. But the whole idea of being able to do things well, but to be able to adjust on the fly and to be able to make quick decisions and move and hinge to different opportunities within what we do is really sitting on the CMO's shoulders and he needs to have a team or she needs to have a team that allows the CMO to be able to do that and meet those demands, which is to be unbelievably flexible and, and fast and change on a dime. And the way that we do things right now with the difficulty in identifying talent and the need for external outsourcing with partners that allow us to 
be able to think together and operate together really puts a challenge on the way that the CRO industry hasn't really met that need for CMOs in the past. There's always been a subset of people in all walks of life that sit on that right side of the bell curve that are just excellent. They exist in our business and they are here. And in the very beginning of this business, many of them were with the CROs. They were excellent people, excellent people performing an excellent service, supporting the clients that they supported. But as those deltas changed, many of those people have left the mainstream. And what Steve talks about, how it's hard for the CRO to continue to adjust, is these people who have ingenuity and, and, and are nimble and can think on their feet and, and can see the bigger picture, can have a personal accountability and responsibility to support their clients, aren't really part of the CROs anymore. And I'm not saying they don't have a subset of people who do that, but the reality of it is most of the CRO works from a static pool of people all the time. They go from CRO to CRO to CRO. It's like a whirlpool. You know, and I use the whirlpool as an analogy because at the end of the bottom of that whirlpool or Steve's company or any other company that they're supporting, you're getting the same old, same old who have lived within these processes that aren't actually built for excellence like Steve's. Many processes aren't nimble. They can't be. So it's that subset of people that exist in the world that Steve, through his network, can hire some. And once his network is done, where does he go? What does he do? How does he find them? And if you use traditional methods of recruitment or resourcing, you're not going to find them. These people don't have CVs available. They're not applying to jobs. It's kind of like an iceberg. The tip of the iceberg is what Steve gets when he calls me. But underneath that water surface are years and years and years of development of relationships, years and years of years of separating the wheat from the chaff, years and years of years of finding the right people who share these attributes of excellence and ingenuity and creativity and resiliency and nimbleness and all the things that Steve needs. Recently, there's this big push on cell and gene therapy. There are 2,000 studies today just read in cell and gene therapy. A year ago, there were 15 two years ago. Today, there were, there's 2,000. How are we keeping up with that? Not everyone's going to have cell and gene therapy experience, but there will be people who have the aptitude and the understanding of the science, who are interested in the science, who have a belief and a passion that this scientific platform can cure an illness that might have been otherwise incurable. And that drives them. That motivates them. That excites them. I am convinced that the best and brightest people are excited by the science first. What are you doing and how are you doing it? They don't want to work on Me Too stuff. That the CRO, Steve doesn't get those people. He just doesn't. They're assigned to him. When you start with a team and you partner with an external vendor, no matter who it is, uh, you need to be able to bring people up to speed. They may not always be familiar with what you're trying to do, but if they're experienced, they're talented, they're flexible, and they believe that they're part of your team and they operate like they're part of your team, the ability to be able to get a cohesive organization together, no matter how you build it, whether it's fully FTE, whether it's fully outsourced or it's hybrid, you need people who are dedicated to what you're doing. One of the problems with the current model that exists is that 
uh, a number of people who are working for these CROs are working on other stuff. They're bouncing from project to project. Sometimes that's good because you get sort of inadvertent competitive intelligence, <laughs> but most of the time it's bad because the project that brings in the most sometimes distracts the best talent that they have or diverts the best talent to that project. Sometimes those folks are working on three things at the same time. So they're distracted. So no matter how good they are, how talented they are, how much they learn, it's hard to do three things at once for three different masters. And a lot of times they just get moved over to those projects that need the most help at the time that you need them. So just when you get somebody assigned to your project, they're moving over to something else. And the other problem here is that the best folks that I've worked with in organizations at outsourced vendors, they still operate like they report to the vendor. And so I need somebody who has SWAN primary on their thought and who they work for secondary on their thought. And it's always the opposite of that. And then the last piece of it is, you know, we're all looking for talent. And when these folks start working for clients, they make relationships. And the ones who are really good will get gobbled up quickly. And that's something I've seen recently where I've finally get somebody on my team from the vendor who is really good and talented and learns quickly and quickly becomes part of the team and becomes a valuable resource. And next thing I know, they're working for somebody in the industry because they've moved on. Because if you've got somebody who's that good and they're split three different ways, eventually they burn out. Eventually they say, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to move over and I'm going to work on something where I can work for a biotech. I can dedicate myself to this. I can do a great job. They have pride too. They have personal pride. So this whole challenge of when you need to be able to flex, when you need to be able to get stuff done, when you need to be able to step on the gas and you don't really feel like you own the relationship because the people that are working for you are good, but they're not working for you. They're working with you and they're working for someone else. That becomes a real challenge. You can't step on the gas. As somebody who's worked in a number of biotechs, I can tell you, not only is the challenge to find good people full time, but you're living on a limited budget You've raised the money, you're trying to make things work, you're trying to deliver. And, and sometimes it doesn't make sense to staff up to completely run your programs with full-time people. It doesn't make sense for the stability of the company. It doesn't make sense for the full-time people. It doesn't make sense from a business standpoint. And you have challenges because there are other parts of the organization that also need to staff up and you have to make choices at a small biotech. The CRO model where you have an arm's length relationship doesn't work as well for a small biotech as it works for a large pharma, where there is lots of staff, where there is multiple programs, where the economics work well, the structures work well. It just doesn't work as well for the need for a biotech. We've spoken about a lot of challenges and, and problem statements 
what are some of the solutions, the high-level strategies, along with some specific stories? How should CMOs select outsourcing vendors with an eye for expertise and a cultural fit? We've seen a lot of different models. We've seen completely outsourced models where you have these traditional, here's a project, bid on the project, that kind of thing. We've seen these FSP models, which are really a minor modification on these full outsource models. They're a way to be able to parse the dollars in a different way, but get similar delivery. They're not really a complete solution to what we need. We've seen these models and what they end up being is the same thing because they function within each other. There are a few other folks who try to sell this as an opportunity, but you know what they are really are contract recruitment type firms where they recruit folks and they contract them out to you. And then you make a decision whether you want to contract the position or you want to contract the hire or you want to bring the person in full time. And so that really then swings you to the other side, which is really a a pseudo FTE model, which doesn't help either. And what you really need and what I find works best and what has worked best for us has been what I would call a seats in place model where the vendor or the CRO or whoever's serving that role is not really serving it as a vendor, but is serving as a partner where they are brought in and considered a piece of your operations. You have a hand in identifying who those folks are. You have a choice with that partner to be able to identify the skill sets you need that are targeted to your business. You identify upfront, what are your needs? How much do you need? What are you gonna need going forward? And then those people really predominantly wear your ID first and who they work for is ID second. When they start, they come in, you've identified the specific talents, you know the ideal talent you need for that position. Finally, you get them trained and they become part of your team. And there's no real difference between identifying who these people are, who your FTEs are, but they operate side by side to accomplish the task together. And that allows you to really have the flexibility you need to have the staff you need, but not be committed to FTEs or staffing up completely. And then not having this arm's length relationship where you don't know what the people are doing for other folks and how much they're split and how much you're going to be able to get them and how dedicated they are and whether they're going to be there tomorrow. So I find that in the last few places I've been, that that has really solved my need to be flexible, have high quality, have folks who have experience who I don't have to do, wait for them to ramp up to become project ready. And then on the other side, I know they're not going to go anywhere. They're there for the long run and they're part of the organization. I treat them like they're part of the organization. Although they don't work for me, they work for for Joe or someone else. I think that's really the difference. And that allows us to get up quickly, to change quickly, to be flexible, to deliver on projects. And if there's an issue or a problem, the ability to be able to handle it like you would handle a full-time employee who's having the same kind of problems. So that's been a real solution for me in an environment that's been really tough lately where I have pressures as a CMO on the other side. When are you going to deliver data? 
When am I going to get quality data? We need to change this or that, and I need to be able to move quickly. And I can handle what the business needs, what I need from a scientific delivery standpoint, what I need from an operational standpoint, and in the end, be able to deliver efficiently with high quality within a very specialized organization. With confidence, with confidence that the people are going to deliver on what you need to be delivered on. I can't say it any better. One of the key points of that is as an outsourcing solution or as an outsourcing organization, one of the things that I think is important, especially with the relationship with a person like Steve, is we too, as an organization, become part of the culture of our clients. It's not transactional anymore. Outsourcing organizations need to be much more strategic with these developing biotech companies as compared to being transactional as they typically are. When you're strategic, I can call Steve two o'clock in the morning and say, I got somebody in Australia. He'd probably yell at me for calling him at two o'clock in the morning, but we have that relationship and that relationship goes with the several clients that I do have. So I'm a part of Steve's company. Uh, I'm a part of his company. I value what they do. I've been in situations where We've had very tight timelines that we've laid out with vendors in the past. And it just so happens that we're reliant on other things. And I work in gene therapy, you're waiting for product to be delivered. You're hoping that the yield is going to be as good the next time as you do the, the first time, or that the specs will come through at the right time, or you're waiting for preclinical data and something happens that delays getting some of that data. And I've had those situations where that has happened. And the unfortunate thing is the timelines on my side, despite the fact that stuff comes in late, doesn't change. The expectation with the organization is that I'm going to be able to make up for that lost time within that. And the importance of that at a small biotech is it could be the difference between getting an next tranche, being able to fund, being able to make a milestone, whatever it is. And when you're living from raise to raise, which a lot of these biotechs are, or in public markets, from information to information at a small biotech and funding is important. A lot of times as a CMO, you don't have the flexibility to be able to say, well, you know, this came in a month late. I have to move now three months or two months. And I had a situation where stuff was coming in late and I was running up against a holiday and using a CRO in, in the past. And the CRO saying to the team, if you don't get it in by the date you said you're going to get it in, we're not going to do this over the holiday. We'll do it after the holiday. And by the way, that's a change order. All of a sudden, it created all kinds of noise for the team that I didn't need at a time where I needed my folks to be able to hunker down and be able to deliver under difficult situations. And what that does is it falls on me and I'm on the phone with management at the CRO and I'm trying to negotiate around all of these problems. And quite frankly, if you've got an organization where you can sit down and say, look, you're really not at arm's length. You're really not a vendor. You're really a partner here. This is where I'm stuck. This is what I need to do. This is how we need to do this. We need the flexibility and we need the ability to be able to do what we can do within reason. There are some times where things move and change where there is no way to fix 
or make up for lost time or, or things that come in di at a different time than expected. But within an organization, you need to be able to do that. And so you need to have models that allow you to be as flexible as possible within those kind of situations. I've run into them and the ability to be able to work with standard, whether it be a CRO under a standard contract or, or a FSP, when push comes to shove and you get to these tight spots, that's where you're really hurt. And that's where you really need a different kind of model to be able to function there. There's a current client of ours that we're working with that was working with one of the big box CROs and they had an audit done on one of their systems, the storyboard of a trial, and it failed. And they were like 50,000 pages behind in being inspection ready. And when they called their vendor who caused the problem, the vendor said to them, well, it's going to cost you more money because we got to put more resources on it to now fix it. But that's certainly illogical, right? My fault, but pay me more so I can fix it now. And then they had a really short timeline that they wanted to get the uh, submission done by the end of the year. And the big box CRO said, oh, we can't do that. We don't have the resources. The best I can do is get it done to you by February. So here's a client prepping for a submission who realizes too late that one of their key proponents of the submission is dirty goes to the vendor that they're using to ask for help and they have to pay more and they can't make the timeline. Not to tell us, but that's the easiest thing we ever did. We found five or six or seven people. We threw them all together. We created a, a strategy. We became part of them. And guess what? We had the tools that needed to be inspection ready, inspection ready by the end of the year and the end of year was submitted. To me, that was exciting. I valued that as much as they did. Like as soon as I saw the, the thing come out, I'm like, yes, I felt good. It's not my company, but I sure felt like it was because we created a solution. You raised something that I think set off a light bulb in my head. I think the biggest answer to this problem is you need a partner that is as solution oriented as you are within this industry when you're a small biotech. What I find works best amongst my team and the companies that I've been at, the small biotechs I've been at that have been successful is we've had teams that are not problem oriented, but are solution oriented. There's no hurdle that's high enough that they can't handle, uh, that they can't figure out how to deal with it and find a solution and they don't let it get in their way. And what you don't need from your partner or vendor are more speed bumps or more roadblocks or more hurdles, but you need a partner that is in it with you that is going to be solution oriented. If you ask me for the one thing that I'm looking for is a model that makes my partner in this as opposed to my vendor as solution oriented as I am to deal with the things that I need to deal with. And I think that's really where this needs to evolve. And I think Joe has given an example of how they deal with it. And I find that that's been something that has worked well for us as I've evolved through the biotech industry is to get partners who feel like they're part of your organization and are as dedicated to the solution, to finding a solution as you are. And then if you've got solution-oriented folks around the table, they don't get in your way. They help you get there. And, and that's, that's what you want.
in every biotech, there's a problem somewhere. <laughs> Something's going to raise its head. Whether the manufacturing and gene therapy is not going to be coming through correctly, whether there's not going to have time, whether if you're going to go try to get your vectors done now, Steve, you're probably six to nine months out due to the amount of studies that are going out. There's always something. And as there's always something, whatever that may be, you need people to understand that there's always something. You'll be okay with it. It's always something. Okay, what do we need? How do we fix it? What do we do? Where do we go? How's it get done? Any last thoughts from either of you about how CMOs and CROs can best collaborate? I would like to make one comment on a question that you asked earlier, and that was, why do you have to evaluate and select outsourcing partners every year? Why is it an issue? And I'll say to you this, it shouldn't be. If you find a service provider in anything you do in life, ever, that you've learned to trust, gives you a fair price and does a quality job. Do you keep looking for one? Do you keep trying to find a new mechanic every year because you like the one you have? No, you don't. You keep what's, what has happened in this industry is that we have learned to accept mediocrity and we have learned to lower expectations. What I would say is as a CMO has done this a number of times, we don't buy the pitch right? Everybody comes in and makes the pitch <laughs> and we don't buy the pitch. It, it's around what's the relationship, what's the culture and how are you going to work with us, not for us? I would love CROs to evolve their relationship. Oh, I understand their businesses and they need to make profits, but I believe that you can make a profit and be a good steward and partner to programs and understand the industry. And so as biotechs have evolved, as the financing models have evolved, as the delivery models have evolved and as the expectations have evolved, the CROs haven't gone with that because it's profit first, pitch first, and then everything second. And I think in the end of this, it's not about what you pitch. It's not about trying to, to sell a product. It's really about how do you partner with somebody and deliver on the promise of what they need to do. I'm not trying to take your profit away from you. I'm trying to have a successful biotech to do what I need to do for patients, for clinicians, for healthcare providers, for investors, for my folks that work for me. So in the end of this, it's really around what is the relationship? It's what can we do for each other to make that successful? So uh, if, if CROs kept that in mind and they looked at that in their models in the long run, I think it, it would work well for biotechs. And it comes down to the resources that we can provide to Steve. It comes down to the resources, comes down to the people, and it comes down to the ability to identify high quality people who share attributes of excellence, who will never forget that we're doing a scientific experiment on a human. Our obligation is to the company that we are assigned to, to ensure that we integrate within that organization to get the data that we need as fast and efficiently as possible, so that at the end of this study, we can move this drug forward, we can move this drug through sale, we can commercialize it, whatever Steve and his board wants to do, we just got to get them there. Thank you, Steve and Joe, for taking the time to speak with us about how the biotech industry and CRO industry have evolved and what that means for chief medical officers evaluating potential outsourcing partners. 
For our listeners, you can learn more about the work Joe and Inception Group are doing at www.inceptiongroup.com. That's Inception Group, I-N-S-E-P-T-I-O-N. And you can learn more about the Chief Medical Officer Summit 360 by visiting www.theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone.